an epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. This is the best of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis on Fox Sports Radio. Happy Tuesday. Wherever you are across the country, the Washington Capitals are now up 3-1 on the Vegas Golden Knights. Last night, they put them away 6-2. And one of the longest-running stretches of title futility is close to coming to a close in our nation's capital. That will leave several cities still sad, but moving up on the flowchart of depression when it comes to length of time without a championship. I think this probably puts, I'm guessing here, I think this probably puts Minnesota uh, and the St. Paul, Minneapolis and the St. Paul area, number one on our list of most forlorn American sports cities. I would probably say number two, even though they don't have three teams, would be close Buffalo, and number three would be Atlanta. I think that would be the trio of sports teams that are uh, failing their cities and leaving the city behind in dejection. The Washington area, close to seeing that run of title futility ending. But I know Caps fans out there are definitely thinking we could choke this 3-1 series lead away. So we'll see whether or not that is able to come to a close. Uh, much to discuss in that realm if that ends up happening. But you think about that, my power top three, the gold, the, the silver, and the bronze for cities left behind by titles, the futility that that still exists in those cities, the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, 
Number two, Buffalo. Number three, Atlanta. Does that make sense? Uh, I think so. You can reach out to me on Twitter, uh, at Clay Travis. Maybe we'll have a poll later in the week if the Washington Capitals actually win because I don't want to jinx them too much when they take a 3-1 series lead. So that is the news from the actual field, ice, or court when it comes to major sports news. Uh, We obviously have a couple of days off now before we get to game three of the NBA's West uh, NBA Finals, and that'll be taking place in Cleveland on Wednesday, and we'll see whether or not there's any possibility of a series arising there. We have continued feuding between Donald Trump and the NFL. I know, I know, I know. Uh, Yesterday, uh, Donald Trump tweeted about uh, 11 o'clock last night. Donald Trump tweeted, the Philadelphia Eagles football team was invited to the White House. Unfortunately, only a small number of players decided to come, and we canceled the event. Staying in the locker room for the playing of our national anthem is as disrespectful to our country as kneeling. Sorry. Now, this is, uh, of course, and the Philadelphia Eagles released their own statement. It has been incredibly thrilling to celebrate our first Super Bowl championship. Watching the entire Eagles community come together has been an inspiration. We are truly grateful for all of the support we have received, and we are looking forward to continuing our preparations for the 2018 season. The White House also released an official statement, uh, and that official statement said as follows. The Philadelphia Eagles are unable to come to the White House with their full team to be celebrated tomorrow. They disagree with their president because he insists that they proudly stand for the national anthem, hand on heart, in honor of the great men and women of our military and the people of our country. The Eagles wanted to send a smaller delegation but the 1,000 fans planning to attend the event deserve better. These fans are still invited to the White House to be part of a different type of ceremony, one that will honor our great country, pay tribute to the heroes who fight to protect it, and loudly and proudly play the national anthem. I will be there at 3 o'clock Eastern with the United States Marine Band and the United States Army Chorus to celebrate America. Uh, This is the ongoing battle that began when Donald Trump uh, took issue with with Colin Kaepernick's protest, uh, when Colin Kaepernick said that he would not stand for uh, an American flag that oppresses black people. This is now our third football season where the NFL remains in the crosshairs. Let's break it down as best we can here. Uh, The story is basically this. Donald Trump is making a ton of political points by attacking the NFL over the NFL, blowing this Colin Kaepernick story from the moment it began. If you go back in history and you look at other leagues and what they have done, the NBA had this issue 20 years ago. Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, a lot of you remember him as Chris Jackson at LSU. He played there. Uh, with uh, Shaquille O'Neal. He converted to uh, to Islam, and he decided that he wanted to protest the national anthem because he disagreed with many American policies, and so he refused to stand for the national anthem. David Stern, then the commissioner of the NBA, recognized this could be an incredibly bad look for 
the NBA, and he immediately suspended Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf and fined him $32,000 a game. That's how much he was making per game until Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf decided to stand for the national anthem. The NBA also reiterated their policy on the national anthem, and since that time, no NBA player has ever kneeled for the national anthem. This was not a controversial decision at the time because social media hadn't driven everyone insane. And so, as a result, the NBA managed to avoid this entire process that has turned uh, into an absolute mess for uh, for the NFL. The NBA rule is as follows. Players, coaches, and trainers are to stand and line up in a dignified posture along the sidelines or on the foul line during the playing of the National Anthem. There are lots of people out there who are being dishonest with you, who are using this opportunity to try and go after the NFL, uh, and they are praising the NBA as this paragon of virtue. The reality is the NBA's policy is even more extreme in terms of what it requires players to do. Now, this is honestly a big part of the theme of my new book, Republicans Buy Sneakers 2, that's going to be out in September. You can go buy it on Amazon right now. Uh, My editor emailed me at HarperCollins and said, holy crap, when you texted out the link to your book, it's not coming out until September and the OutKick audience is so loyal to you that hundreds of people have already pre-ordered this book based on one tweet that I sent out. So I appreciate the loyalty that you guys show to me. My editor is already like, this is unbelievable. He's like, almost no one gets hundreds of people to buy a book before it's even been released. I think the reason why many people are buying this book already is because so many of you agree with me in general. And the book... And again, this is right in my wheelhouse because I've been focused on this book so much over the past several months. The book makes the point that I think is a good one. In the 1980s and the 1990s and in the early parts of the 2000s, no athlete was political at all. It was hard to find an athlete who thought that you cared about his or her politics in the 1980s, the 1990s, and the 2000s. And then I'm going to tell you what happened. The media changed. And and I think this is an important lesson for everybody out there. I know a lot of people listen on their way to school. We live in a modern era where no one has any kind of historical understanding or comprehension of the larger universe that we live in, or even our country's own history. And I want to give you a quick hit on media. If you study this country's history, what you will learn is that in the early days of our country and up all the way until the late 19th century, the only real media was newspapers, and they were insanely partisan. You were a Whig, or you were a Democrat, or you were a Republican, and those newspapers were highly inaccurate, highly partisan, and they would say the worst possible thing about whoever was running against your party's candidate. 
newspapers sold a lot of uh, newspapers by being tribal. We are a tribal people. People in general in the world of sports manage to align themselves with tribes. All right, I want you to think about this in a large context. When you root for the Philadelphia Eagles or the Washington Redskins or the Dallas Cowboys or the New York Giants in the NFC East, for example, you are becoming part of a tribe. When you root for the Alabama Crimson Tide or the University of Tennessee or the University of Florida or Southern California or the Minnesota Golden Gophers, whoever you root for in college football, you are a part of a tribe. Sports teams are able to monetize that tribal loyalty by making you believe that that tribe you are a part of is better than the other tribes that you play against. In the early days of our republic, newspapers did that too. Then what happened? In the late 19th century, suddenly markets got bigger and newspapers like the New York Times, they had an epiphany. They said, you know what? The best way we can make more money is if we claim to be fair and impartial and instead of only selling newspapers to Whigs, Democrats, Republicans, know-nothings, whatever political parties existed back then, we will sell newspapers to everybody. And right now, journalists love to get on their high horses and argue, you know, democracy dies in darkness. That's what the Washington Post says. The New York Times is saying, oh my God, without us, who is going to oppose Donald Trump? About half the country is the answer. But the New York Times need to convince themselves that they are doing the Lord's work. Fair and impartial is just a business slogan that leads to more newspapers being sold. And so in the late 19th century, suddenly this idea that the media and that journalists shouldn't be biased, even though, let's take a, let's pretend for a minute that they aren't actually biased. Everybody's biased in some ways, right? But the, the journalists out there in the New York Times and others decided, no, no, we're going to be entirely nonpartisan. We're going to call just balls and strikes we're going to be able to sell to the entirety of the nation. And as more people were able to read, that marketplace became larger and it ingrained in people the idea that newspapers should be nonpartisan. Then what happened? Radio. And this was a massive change. Because suddenly, everybody across the country, whether you lived in the smallest, most, uh, most backwoods holler of West Virginia or Mississippi, or whether you are a bi-coastal elite living in New York or Los Angeles, you had the ability to be connected to everybody with one form of pop culture. And what was radio's goal? It had to appeal to everybody from 8 to 80. And then came television. And television had the same mindset. The Cosby Show, I Love Lucy, M.A.S.H., all these shows that appealed to massive audiences. And what did they do? They convinced us, television and radio did, that no matter what happened, uh, no matter what our background was, whether we were white, black, Asian, Hispanic, whether we were Democrat or Republican, whether we were a, uh, whether we were, uh, a uh, an atheist or a, a, a hardcore uh, believer in religion, Everybody was appealed to. And that is where sports came into the equation. 
sports was our national escape with the rise of national radio and national television. Then came cable and sports exploded even more. You had the rise of ESPN. You had the Supreme Court case in 1983 that said every team in college football has the ability to be on television. The NCAA can't restrict it. And all of that led to what I would call the golden age of sports, which was the age, frankly, that I believe I was a part of when I was growing up. Sports was, all through this process, a way to become more democratic. We opened up all of sports to you, regardless of what your race was, regardless of what your religion was, regardless of where you lived in the world. If you were good enough at putting a ball in a basket, at throwing a baseball, at scoring a hockey puck, or at scoring touchdowns, your background didn't matter. And frankly, that's why I still love sports so much, because in an era of BS, sports is the last meritocracy. It doesn't matter where you're from. Everybody is equal on a field or rink or court. That's the truth. And so what has happened is in the last seven or eight years, social media has suddenly arisen and it has turned us all back into tribes. It's taken us back into the early days of the Republic when every media was partisan when everything was cloaked in politics. And you have two different interesting dynamics. You have sports, which was our national escape from politics. Nobody ever mentioned politics at all in the 1980s, the 1990s, and the early parts of 2000. And the reason why I named my book Republicans Buy Sneakers 2 is because Michael Jordan had that quote attributed to him early in his career when he didn't have a strong political take on all of the political issues that were going on in the 1990s. And there were a lot of them. There were a lot more controversial political issues going on in the 1990s when Michael Jordan was dominant than there are today. You had the OJ trial. You had the riots in Los Angeles. You had so much going on that directly connected sports to politics in the terms of the OJ case. And nobody weighed in. What social media convinces people is that you need to have an opinion all day long, every day. And what social media has done is they have adopted the same policies that governed our country in the late 1700s and early part of the 1800s, and that is everything is tribal. They have managed to turn Twitter and Facebook and Instagram not so much Snapchat, but those three into ways to establish what tribe you're a part of all day long, every day. And that tribe can be your race, that tribe can be your religion, that tribe can be your politics. All of it slices and dices us to the point where that social media account, that Facebook and that Twitter account is all predicated on getting likes and retweets. We're all getting played by people on social media. And what social media has created is an artificial echo chamber, what I call the funhouse mirror effect, where the speech that gets promoted and liked and retweeted is polarizing 
not the speech that's actually reasonable. And so athletes are out here on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter all day long, and if they have found out that if they rip the president, they get more likes. And athletes, like everybody else, are conditioned to be played by social media. So what you might say in real life doesn't become what you say on social media. And as a result, we have got this era where sports and politics have collided head-on and it is making, I think, everybody angry and everybody likes sports less. Now, that's probably the equivalent of a lecture that you would get in a college campus. I'll open up the phone lines and let you guys react to that, but I was thinking a lot about this since last night when I saw those tweets come out, when I saw the Eagles players all tweeting how much they hate Donald Trump, and I saw Donald Trump going after the Eagles players. Politics is intensely a tribal business. What Donald Trump has recognized is the kneeling of Colin Kaepernick for the national anthem and his insult to the flag plays incredibly well to Donald Trump's base and also is a majority issue where the country agrees with Donald Trump. If 55 or 60% of the population at least believes players should stand for the national anthem, which they do, then this is a big winning issue for Donald Trump. And what the NFL should have done if they wanted to put this thing behind them immediately was exactly what the NBA did to Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf. They should have said, look, Colin Kaepernick, you're required to stand for the national anthem as part of your job when you're in uniform at this game. If you don't like it, we understand, but you have to fulfill the obligations of your contract as a player. If you don't, then there will be consequences like there are for any employer who refuses to accede to the demands of any uh, for any employee who refuses to meet uh, cons- refuses the demands of his employer. You can find another job. You can do something else. Instead, the NFL has now allowed this to linger for three years, and what used to be just a generic photo op where teams got to go visit the White House has turned into a political statement time after time after time. And here's the truth of the matter. I don't care who the president is. Personally, if I got invited to the White House, I would go. Because I think regardless of whether you voted for the president, regardless of whether you liked him, I think that is a nonpartisan uh, decision to make. I would have gone for George W. Bush, Barack Obama, Bill Clinton, uh, for uh, Ronald Reagan. I was a baby. I wouldn't have had the choice, but I would have gone for Jimmy Carter. All of those guys, and I would certainly go for Donald Trump. I have, I guess, an antiquated idea now. If the president invites you to the White House or invites you to help him in any way, as an American, I would feel duty-bound to do the best possible thing to help the president that I could. I know it's crazy, but I got a crazy idea. I don't want the president, regardless of which party he is, to fail because if he fails, then it hurts the country. A lot of people don't agree with me on that anymore. I understand the reason why this happened, the Philadelphia Eagles feel like, oh, we're going to send a big statement of how much we don't like Donald Trump. I think it's stupid. I think the end result is probably going to be that a lot of teams are not going to go to the White House in the years ahead. Uh, I certainly know that whoever wins the NBA Finals, it's going to turn into a big story when the Cavs or the Warriors decide not to go to the White House. I tend to think that this story, being a story, probably should die. But it's the number one story in America. 
We're going to talk about it. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Sirius XM NFL radio host Alex Marvez at Alex Marvez. Alex, if I told you that your ratings would decline 20% every time you mention politics on your Sirius <laughs> XM show, would you ever do it? Of course you wouldn't. You should try to run away from it as much as possible, which is, you know, seemingly what the owners have tried to do with this whole situation involving the national anthem that you and I, by the way, as of two weeks ago, do not talk about anymore on yes, the show. So this conversation, my wife is going to be so, my wife is going to be so mad when she wakes up this morning because she is, she has put the the fatwa out on national anthem talk. She said nobody cares about the national anthem anymore, and yet, I mean. What would you, let's take a step back. Let's let's like pretend that we are having discussions about what the topic should be on today's show. I can come on and I can talk about the Washington Capitals uh, taking a three-one series lead over the uh, over the whoever the heck they're playing, the Vegas Golden Knights, Las Vegas. Yes, yeah. And there's going to be a few people out there in the audience who really strongly care about that. And by the way, I know nothing about hockey. I don't pretend to. I watch it. I enjoy it. But it's not like you turn on your radio and you're like, I really want Clay Travis to break down the line shifts of last night's uh, you know, Washington Capitals against the Las Vegas Golden Knights game. So we started that off. Uh, we can talk about game three of the NBA Finals, which is not going to take place right now until Wednesday night. And by the way, it's not been a very good series so far, and the Warriors are up 2-0, and we've talked about that. A ton. So we got two days now to continue. Like, oh, maybe we could talk about, you know, if Andre Iguodala is going to be back healthy. Maybe we could talk about where LeBron James is going to go, which we're going to do for, by the way, the entirety of like three weeks and starting as soon as these seasons end, right? Or yep. the president of the United States is literally tweeting about sports and his feud with the Philadelphia Eagles while I am live on the air. Which of those three topics should I talk about? And that's what I've been telling my wife, because she's going to be angry. Like, I have to play the hits, and beyond question, the number one hit in the world of sports right now is Trump's decision last night to cancel the visit of the Philadelphia Eagles. So what happens today? I mean, what what is this thing going to look like at the White House? I, I am fascinated by this. Are they handing out kazoos, and people are going to walk around the, the, I don't the road know. garden? What, what's going on? It is amazing. I mean, and I, look, I don't blame Donald Trump at all, because I think he has found an issue that, look, politicians, this idea that politicians are trying to appeal to 100% of the population has basically given up the ghost. I had this conversation before we elected a president in 2016. I said, what would it take for us to have a president who 60% of the American population really liked? Back in the day, I think Reagan got to 60%. I think Bill Clinton might have gotten close to 60%. Whether you loved or hated George W. Bush, whether you loved or hated Barack Obama or Donald Trump, All of them are being president in an era where basically 50% of the population hates them no matter what. And I don't know why that is or whether we're ever going to get out of it. But this idea that the president is trying to appeal to everyone is frankly not true. Now, some of them have done a better job of hiding it than Donald Trump. But I think Donald Trump is nakedly political in the sense that he cares about his side of the equation, his tribe. He doesn't care about anybody else. Uh, by and large. Now, you can argue about whether or not that's good for the country, but I think it is somewhat refreshing to know that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to get reelected in theory, and he knows all he has to get is 50% of the electoral votes plus one. If he wins every state that he won in 2016, 
he will be president again in 2020, no matter how much people in New York and California might hate him. Um, and I think that's what he's doing. And I think these policies that he is going after, the NFL, what, I, what I've been saying on the show, Alex, is the NFL is the pie, right? Basically, if you are an American sports fan, you like the NFL. And the minute that you start saying anything other than talking about football, you're pulling people, slices of that pie out. And I think that the NFL, uh, you know, really, the owners get it. We want to get back to football. We want to stick to sports. We don't want to be having these discussions for a third straight year, and yet they can't seem to avoid having these discussions for a third straight year. Well, I mean, you can't force Philadelphia Eagles players to attend the ceremony, right? And and the reports are out there that this was going to be a scant showing by the Eagles. You know, maybe what they should have done is would like you go? This is a, the, yeah, this is a good question for you. Would you go to the White House if Donald Trump invited you to go to the White House? Me, because of my politics, no. You no. would not. I, I, See, would, I would not. Would you have gone if George W. Bush had invited you? Yes. Would you have gone if Ronald Reagan invited Anyone you? Anyone else. Anyone, Anyone else. else. Okay, Maybe. so you're making a change. See, my position is I haven't changed. I would go if any president invited me to the White House. But it's interesting you say that because my wife said, oh, I don't think – she voted for Hillary Clinton. She said, I don't think I would go to the White House if uh, if we got invited to the White House. And I said, well, I would go. And I was like, I'll take one of the kids. <laughs> and I think yeah. ultimately I would, I, would, uh, I would weigh on her and she would 100% go uh, if I you know, kept saying, hey, you know, uh, I'm going to go to the White House. Are you really not going to go with me if we're invited? I would go no matter who the president is. I would have been ecstatic to meet Barack Obama. I would have been ecstatic to meet George W. Bush. I would have been ecstatic to meet Ronald Reagan or Bill Clinton uh, or any of those guys, right? Uh, and if Hillary had won, I would have been excited to go to the White House if Hillary had won. And I understand that maybe I, – I think the majority of people still uh, agree with me on that, but maybe not. So this goes into the larger context. So you would not go. So I agree with you. I don't think you can make the Philadelphia Eagles go to the White House in their offseason. Um, and if none of them are going to show up, I also don't blame the president for canceling right. the Philadelphia Eagle event because if they don't show up or like four Philadelphia Eagles players show up, out, it's going to be a huge story, right? There will, there will be much discussion about, oh, the Eagles spurned Donald Trump. Look, only four of them went. Um, who knows? It also, frankly, kind of takes the Eagles out of being in an awkward situation because is Doug Peterson going to go? What if some of Doug Peterson's assistant coaches don't go? What if the owner doesn't show up? What? Wh- how are these players who do show up going to be viewed because people are going to be like, oh, is Nick Foles going to go? Is, uh, is Carson Wentz going to go? Are they then branding themselves as hardcore Trump guys? Like, if anything, to me, the president actually gave the Eagles a pretty good out because now he's not slicing and dicing them up based on their politics. Uh, to me, this is actually probably a better result for everybody. And it saves him the embarrassment, too, of, okay, you know, you have seven people there, right? I mean, you know, that, that's part of it as well, the optics of this. When you have other team photos and, you know, you've got 30 guys, 40 guys, whatever number of players that end up going. And, and listen, there's never a full 53-man roster that goes. Other guys have moved on from the team. Some guys don't like the politics. Some guys have already been to the White House several times and don't want to jump through all the hoops to have to get there again. I mean, so, you know, you weren't going to have a full squad ever anyway. But, the, you know, the fact that this took place the night before, the timing of it is very interesting as well. When 
when did you know the White House become aware that so few people were going from the Eagles? I mean, when you plan a trip like this, you're, you know, you're talking weeks out. I mean, you need to get security clearances for the players who are involved. You have to, you know, security. You have to know how many people are coming exactly. So I think this was was very well timed uh, on the part of the president to try to use this as political capital. By the way, don't look over at Paul Manafort. Don't don't do that. Keep focused back on the anthem. Turn your eyes. Wait back on the anthem. Okay, there we go. So what ends up happening? Like, so do you agree with me in general? So my, my thesis on this, and I've been writing a book, so I've been thinking a lot about this, is that to a large extent, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter have convinced athletes that people want them to be political, and they get rewarded with lots of retweets and lots of likes when they get political, but they are not realizing that social media is a funhouse mirror and that the vast majority of sports fans really don't want to know what Nick Foles thinks about the American political process. Like, I don't, I mean, I think the vast majority of people listening to me right now do not care what Carson Wentz's politics are one iota. And they certainly don't want Carson Wentz breaking down American geopolitical tensions uh, while he's also trying to break down defenses. I think they want Carson Wentz to get healthy, come back from his injury. And I think they want Nick Foles to be uh, a really good quarterback in the meantime. And I think that goes for any position on the field for, for the vast majority of American sports fans. But there is this small minority that wants to politicize sports because everything else has become politicized. And I think social media is exacerbating that. And I think the NFL in particular has gotten caught in those crosshairs. Well, I mean, there's no – what is the NFL policy on all this stuff? I mean, you think about, you know, how this thing is, runs askew. You know, there's no person in charge of media relations right now in terms of having a lead director. I mean, we have people that are, that are filling in and doing the best here, but there's no strategy. Have they formed an anthem, you know, group among the owners to try to deal with this well, Roger Well, oh, Roger Goodell blew this. The day after Colin Kaepernick set, he should have followed the NBA's example with Mahmoud Abdul-Rauf and fined and suspended uh, Colin Kaepernick until he agreed to stand for the national anthem. And if he didn't want to do it, then he could go play football elsewhere. And it would have been controversial, and Twitter would have been upset, and everybody would have uh, would have uh, rallied to their particular corners and their particular sides of the equation. But I think it would have resolved itself, just like the Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf situation did in the NBA. Now, if that protest spreads and all these other guys decide, hey, I'm willing to not do my job for $100,000 so Colin Kaepernick can share his political opinions, then that would have been a major issue that could have arisen. But I don't think it would have spread because I think the vast majority of NFL players want to get paid to do their work just like the vast majority of our audience driving into work this morning wants to go do their job to get paid, not because they're trying to make political statements. Or consuming on the podcast. Let's not forget the podcast that is still not behind a paywall. Which is a debate I'm, that you go through. Over, I over think in your mind. I, I'm a, my concern is that all you knuckleheads downloading the podcast today, that we are doing with the podcast what sports media did and media in general did with newspapers. That we are conditioning people to believe that they should never have to pay for content Ever. that they consume. And as a result, eventually there aren't people actually producing the content. You know this in our business, like, and, and this has happened in, in journalism <laughs> in general. There used to be a lot of people who got paid to write words. Now there aren't that many people who get paid to write words. And I think a big reason why is because people got used to the idea that the internet is free and words are free on the internet. My concern is with the podcast universe that people are getting used to the idea 
that like our podcast that's going to go up, millions of people are going to download it in um, in uh, in the month of whatever month we're in June. We just uh, I, our guy Scott Shapiro just put out the numbers. We had eleven point four million, I think, podcast uh, downloads across the Fox Sports Radio landscape in June, uh, or sorry, in May, and. Many of those, the vast majority of those, there were no ads on. So if you can immediately download this entire show without ads, the minute that we finish this show, why would you listen live? That's my concern that a lot of our our most hardcore audience, the people who are going to listen to this entire show, are going to download this podcast. Many of you are listening to it on podcast right now, and we're not getting paid for that. So we're giving up our audience that's used to listening to us on 300 AM FM stations and satellite radio where there are ads running, like in exchange for listening. You listen to ads. That's a bargain for exchange. And we're giving it away on podcasts. This is something that concerns me because I think we're seeing the same thing happen with spoken word that we've seen happen with written word. Well, as an unemployed writer, I can completely understand. (laughs) I mean, really, I've been writing, I've been paid to write ever since I was a junior in high school at the Miami Herald in October of 1987. And right now, I have no writing job. And I don't know if I'm going to get one. And I don't know if anyone cares because sports media now is all becoming tied into gambling and digital landscape. And there's no editorial standards or anything like that. I mean, you could self-publish on your own, start alexmarbez.com, or I've had an offer to to go run another Internet company that, you know, an Internet website, but it would be more of an executive thing. I don't want to do that. But, no, writing is dying. I mean, there's no question. And, And the podcast one is a toughie. And, you know, to get back to the Anthem thing real quick here, this was about eight or ten players out of, what do we have, 1,500 active on Sundays, and, and we're, you know, this is where this is all gone to this. Most of the players are totally fine standing for the national anthem. They're completely okay with it. You, people can go on social media and they can express their opinions about it. And I think, you know what, I don't even think people would care as long as they stood for the anthem, you know, uh, you know for whatever the protocol is supposed to be. I guess it's hand over heart now for the anthem. No one is really sure because the NFL didn't even bother to put in details about what standing for the national anthem is. That's fine, and, and I agree with you. Or the simpler thing, too, as well, Nobody comes out for the anthem just like in 2009. Very simple. You don't. You just leave it. Everyone in the back. You put everyone out there, and you ignore the president who's tweeting, trying to trying to rally his fan base and make the NFL the enemy and all the other things that go with this sort of thing that, that President Trump is doing. But instead, you know, Shadow Commissioner Jones wanted something that was a little bit different. He wanted to make sure that he had the power to find players to force them to come out on his team and, and do this. He had enough support from owners to be able to get this done from Deputy Goodell and. That's where we're at with this policy right now. And by the way, the NFL, what, what is this $90 million, by the way, that they just spent? I mean, you think about it. They, they, they launch a social media initiative to try to appease players as far as the way this all goes with the anthem flap, and nobody cares. Nobody talks about it. It's like, eh, you know, why are these players doing that? Why are they taking a knee anyway? The social activism stance is to draw attention to, to issues that are important to them, incarceration of, of people for longer sentences, you know, th- uh, people that are being treated unfairly by the police, uh, you know, no matter what race, by the way, being untreated by the police, but obviously a higher propensity for African Americans. So they're they're trying to draw attention. Alex, to that. what would this happen? What would happen if conservative players in the NFL decided they wanted to take a knee against gay marriage? It could happen. That's the amazing right. That's part. just awful for the league. That's my Alex. You're always great. Uh, good luck eventually getting paid for writing again. <laughs> Uh, because well, I think it's an that. absurd I'm situation. I'm for you, man. I'm yeah. joining you. That's it. The yeah, writing we'll component see. to the podcast we're going to do. Yeah, we'll see what happens. We need to start <laughs> making more money on the damn podcast so I can hire some people. 
Hey, it's Jonas Knox. You know, in today's world, it seems the best treatment is reserved only for a few. Well, Discover wants to change that by making everyone feel special. That's why with your Discover card, you have access to 24-7 live customer service as well as $0 fraud liability, which means you're never held responsible for unauthorized purchases. Finally, no matter who you are or where you are in life, you'll feel special with Discover. Learn more at discover.com slash credit card. Limitations apply. Oh, oh, oh. O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.